0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. I am trapped inside of me. There's a song of freedom. I can hear the word, but I resist while I persist to strive, hoping one day to arrive, where Mercy Avenue meets Grace Boulevard, and on the corner find a house called Hope. I'll seek to find, I'll knock till the door opens, I'll ask, wait, then receive. Now I need only to believe, it is for freedom I've been free. Small caged bird out into the world, sometimes it all seems just absurd, to think that I can be loved this much, to know that his love is more than enough. I'll spread my wings across the sky. I'll soar on wind that he provides, escape the prison of my mind, leave the thoughts that once did bind, possibilities unlimited with implicit freedom. And so I'll search for wisdom. I'll live to glorify his kingdom of which I've been made citizen. This holy temple set apart, this redeemed life, this brand new heart. All of me purchased at highest cost. That so I wouldn't remain lost. I am found in him. In him, I am found. I am found me. And now I truly see, indeed I am truly free.
1: I am found in him, in him I am found, I am found me, and now I truly see that indeed I am truly free. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom that we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you that you have given us this word, this letter. We thank you for that poem that so beautifully summarizes all that the Spirit has been saying to us through this letter, this invitation to freedom, not only to be declared free, but to live as though we are free. Free from sin, free from death, free from guilt and shame. And so Lord, I pray that you would help us now as we Close out the rest of this letter that you inspired by your spirit. I pray that your spirit would help us to receive and to understand and to apply what you have written to us through the Apostle Paul. So, God, we pray that you would speak, Lord. We pray that you would move powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Galatians uh, chapter 6. We've been in a series called No longer a slave. If you don't have a Bible, our ushers are going to come up and down the aisle for people who left their Bible at home, or if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you. You know, now that the weather's been getting nice, Lindsay and I have been trying to go out for uh, family walks with our boys uh, after dinner. And uh, we've got four beautiful boys uh, eight, six, four, and almost two, and they're all walking. And um, Walking together sometimes is a bit of a challenge, as, as you can imagine. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, the, the two older ones uh, charge ahead and, and they're two or three blocks beyond uh, the family. Other times the younger ones are lagging behind, not to mention um, uh, stepping on people's grass or venturing out onto the road. And, and we need to, Lindsay's far better at this than I am, but we need to huddle everyone up and, and remind them no, no, we're walking, we're walking together. Maybe you experience that with your family. Maybe you get together with a group of friends and, you know, the guys start charging ahead to where the restaurant is and the women are kind of lagging behind. Or maybe you have a friend who's just a fast walker or maybe an exceptionally slow walker and you either find yourself having to, you know, take little steps or to slow yourself down in order to walk with them, to, in order to keep in step with them. And as Paul's been coming to the end of the letter of what it means, what does it mean to walk in freedom? He's been saying that we need to walk in the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. And as we pick up where we left off last week, if you look at chapter 5, verse 25, Paul says, If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we're going to walk with the Spirit, if we're going to walk with Him, if, he, if we are going to let Him lead us, we must walk at His pace. We must keep in step with Him. And today we're going to see a two, a two ways that the that Spirit is going to help us keep in step with Him. The Apostle Paul is going to describe to us two steps, the steps that we need to take in order to be in step with with the spirit, here's the the first one. If we're gonna keep in step with the spirit, we must keep in step with the church. We must keep in step with the church. Now when I'm talking about the church, I'm not talking about some ecclesiastical hierarchy of some denomination. I'm not talking about the the architectural um, uh, aspects of a building, no, when I say church, I mean the, the original intention of the word church. I mean Christian community. If you are going to be walking by the Spirit, here's one thing you can know for sure. The Spirit is not gonna say, hey, let's just walk just the two of us. The Spirit will always say, hey, if you're walking with me, then you're gonna be walking with these brothers and sisters right here. We are gonna be walking in community. We're gonna be walking together. And so if you're gonna walk by the Spirit, you're gonna be walking in step with the church, with Christian community. In verse 26, he highlights the major danger to living in Christian community. And the concept that he introduces in verse 26 is going to weave its way through the the whole rest of the book into chapter 6 all the way to the end in chapter 6, verse 18. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another one another. The major stumbling block, the major hindrance that would prevent us from keeping in step, from walking in Christian community is that idea of being conceited, being proud, being arrogant, thinking that you are better than people. If you think you're better than people, you're just going to go ahead and walk right ahead of them. You're going to treat it like it's a race. You're not going to treat it like we're walking together. And the word there for, um, for uh, conceited, it's actually two Greek words put together. One is familiar, it's the word doxo, where we get the word doxology from. We sang the doxology earlier, to praise God, from whom all blessings flow. To, to, doxology is praise, it's glory. But attached to the word doxology in front of it is the word keno which means empty, it's the word that's used to describe how Jesus emptied himself in Philippians 2. It's kenodoxo, it's, it's empty praise, it's empty glory. And Paul is saying, you need to, if you're gonna walk as a community, you need to make sure that you're not filled with empty praise, that you're not filled with empty glory. You know how we talk about arrogant people, we say, oh, he's still full of himself. Well, to be full of yourself is to be full of nothing. Because you're full of empty glory. And so that's what we need to watch out for. And this manifests itself in two ways. If you keep reading in verse 26 provoking one another and envying one another. These two participles, these two ING words, explain how being conceited manifests itself in everyday life. The first one is provoking. This word means to challenge someone to a competition, to pull out the checkerboard and slam the pieces on the table and saying, let's go. To be on the ice and dangle your gloves and say, you want to go? You want to go? It's provoking someone. It's saying, I can beat you. I'm stronger than you. I'm better than you. That's a conceited person. A conceited person is continually provoking, continually trying to say that I'm better, that I'm higher. The other half of being conceited is envying Because there is that emptiness that comes along with empty glory, being focused on yourself, envying is looking at what other people have, different possessions, different relationships, different accomplishments, and and rather than celebrating and being happy for them, it eats us away on the inside. You see, provoking and envying are both manifestations of being conceited, being filled with pride. One is a sense of superiority, the other is a sense of inferiority. The one person is in denial of the fact that they're empty and trying to fill themselves up with all of their good deeds. The other person, they're not in denial. They're in despair because they know how empty they are. And there's only one way to be filled, and that's to be filled with the Spirit of God, to be walking in the power of the Spirit. And we've got to walk in Christian community, but pride hinders us from doing that. Now look at chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers... He speaks of them like a family, like a family that's supposed to be walking together, not competing against one another, but delighting in each other. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, if anyone is caught in any transgression, this isn't referring to someone, you know, being caught red-handed. This isn't like the, the woman in John chapter 8 who is caught in the act of adultery. Now what's being, this, this word here is, is describing someone who has been caught, like caught in a trap. Caught in, as the book of Hebrew says, caught in the sin that so easily entangles. Caught in, 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 in the snares of the devil. The devil is laying traps along the road. We're supposed to be walking by the spirit, but the but the 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 devil and our flesh are laying out these traps. He's digging pits, and he's covering them over, and he's saying, walk right here. And sometimes people fall in. And so as we're walking together, sometimes people are going to get caught in traps. They're going to get all tied up. They're going to fall into a pit. They're going to have their foot caught in the jaws of a snare. And how ought we to respond when we continue? Well, a proud person is going to say, you're caught in a snare. Forget about you. I'm going to keep moving. How? What are we supposed to do? It says, "If anyone is caught in the transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness." You who are spiritual. So, the, when people fall into sin, the spiritual people are supposed to help them, right? Like the pastors and the biblical counselors, and they're the one. No, no. If you're filled with the Spirit, you are spiritual. This is something for all of us to hear, not just some uh, elite task force that's supposed to help the hurting. No, this is what all of us are supposed to do as we're walking in the spirit and walking in community. We are to be spiritual, and we're supposed to restore the person in a spirit of gentleness. That word uh, restore is the word used in Mark chapter 1, verse 19. When James and John, when Jesus called them, it says that they were mending their nets. They were restoring the nets. The nets were broken, The nets were torn. The nets, in fact, were useless. They weren't able to be used as a fishing net anymore. In the same way, when a Christian tragically falls into a trap of sin, they're torn. They're ripped apart, whether they know it or not. And they're not useful anymore to do what they're supposed to be doing, which is making disciples. Sin has caused them to turn in on themselves. But someone is supposed to come and restore them. It was a word that was also used in the medical world to describe someone who, you know, had their shoulder dislocated and they needed it put back in place. They needed to be restored. That's the, that's the same word there. Now, you've got to understand that I've never had a dislocated shoulder, but I've had a couple of injuries. And so often, you're in significant pain, but you know in order to get better, is there going to be more pain or less pain? when that shoulder socket goes back in. There's going to be more, isn't there? So you're there in pain, and you know if I'm going to get better, it's going to have to get worse. I'm hurting right now, and man, this is going to hurt, but this is what I need because the healing is in the hurt. And so someone must come along, as it says here, in a spirit of gentleness. To come along and not just say, you need to get that shoulder back in place. We need to mend those nets up. No, it's to be done in a spirit of gentleness, which is one of the fruit of the Spirit, which Paul mentioned earlier in chapter 5. Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit. And this is how we ought to restore one another. I have experienced this firsthand. I hope you have. We've all been on the, on the giving end and on the receiving end. And, and I, I remember being caught in sin myself. People coming around me, alongside me, not in judgment, not conceited, not full of pride, saying, you're worthless, you're useless now. No, but trying to mend back together what has been torn. And believe me, if you're here today and you're caught in sin and it's hurting you, but you're afraid that it will hurt more if you talk to someone about it, Listen, you need that. You need that. You need people to come alongside you. And yes, it will hurt, but they will be gentle. And I've got to ask you today, are you ready for a friend or a family member to drop a bomb this afternoon? Are you ready to have someone in your small group or a close friend or a relative to sit you down and to tell you what's really going on? And how will you respond in a way that's conceited, in a way that I'm better than you, in a way that I'm leaving you behind, will you move away from them or will you move towards them in gentleness with the aim of restoration, with the aim of we're going to get you right back on your feet as soon as possible and we're going to get you walking and moving forward. Some people get caught in sin because there's there's one thing that they did. It was one singular event that now has some consequences, and they can't seem to get past it. They're so overwhelmed by guilt and by shame, and hardly anyone knows, and and they're torn up about it. For other people, it's, it's, it's not just one thing that happened. It's something that keeps happening again and again. And it's become an addiction. It's become an obsession. And even though you've come close to prying the snare apart to set yourself free, somehow you go right back in. Even though you managed by the grace of God to get yourself out of the pit, you jump back in sometimes. You're caught in sin. And what you need is someone in a spirit of gentleness to restore you, to rebuild and repair what's been broken. Then the warning at the end of verse one says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Don't be so conceited, don't be so filled with pride that you think you can just walk up to the same pit and say, I'm not falling in there, let me help you get out. No, you have gotta understand. We can't be so filled with pride to think that we can't stumble and fall into the same sin that that person is struggling with. So we've gotta be careful. But worse than that, worse than falling in the pit would be to be tempted to be filled with pride and to walk away from them. At least the person in the pit knows they need help. The person who's tempted to be filled with pride, to be conceited, doesn't even know they need Jesus, doesn't even even realize that, that they could be tempted in the exact same way. Verse two sums this up beautifully, not just related to temptation, but in everything in life. Verse two, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To, to bear burdens. This is the idea that someone has something heavy that they can't carry themselves. And what we're supposed to do, as we're walking along, we spot someone dragging something or pushing something that they can't move forward. And what we do is we say, okay, you take that end, you come over here, you take that end, we're going to do this together. One, two, three, lift with your back. No, your knees, right? And here we go. And we're walking and we're bearing one another's burden." Working together. Verse 3 ties into this whole idea of being conceited again. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, nothing, having empty glory, he deceives himself. Anyone who thinks that they don't have any burdens, anyone who thinks that they don't have any obligation to help anybody because they're so great, because they're so further ahead, they don't need to be walking with anyone else. That person is deceived. Verse four, but let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What's being described here is, is he's saying don't compare yourself to other people. Don't puff yourself up based on pushing other people down. God has given us a standard and you must evaluate yourself based on God's standard, not based on how much better you think you are than other people. And then verse five, he says, for each will have to bear his own load. So we're supposed to bear one another's burdens, but we're supposed to bear our own load. A burden, the word is a, it's, it's just describing a big heavy thing that you can't carry on your own. But load there, that's just like a knapsack. That's what soldiers were expected to carry around with them. It was just a normal expectation. See, here's the danger of what can happen in a loving Christian community is is Once people start to observe that burdens are getting carried, they think, huh, I don't really like carrying this load. If I just call it a burden, maybe someone will carry it for me. And rather than bearing one another's burdens, we we can end up becoming a burden, where we think that everyone is just here to help us. And, And rather than playing our part and doing our role, we might, listen, someone might be helping us with our burden over here, but that doesn't mean that we're supposed to drop our load and expect someone else to carry it. And chances are, if someone's helping you carry your burden, now you have a hand freed up to carry someone else's burden. And what Paul is doing here brilliantly is he's weaving back and forth between the importance of Christian community, but also the idea of individual accountability. That we all have a role and a responsibility to play that we can't get out from under Verse six, he says, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is a sign that the Spirit is working. If the Spirit is working, the word will be taught. There's all kind of people meeting together on a Sunday morning saying, the Spirit is here, the Spirit is here, come and see this, come and hear that. The Spirit is here, it's so clear. Is the word being taught? If the word is not being taught, then the Spirit is not there. It is a sign that... A, a, a Christian community, a spirit-filled community will have the word being taught and it will be a priority. It says here that the, that the one who is taught the word shall share all good things with the one who is teaching. This is describing financial generosity. To preach and to teach well, to, pre- to prepare and study from God's word is a massive burden and, and I'm very thankful that I don't carry that burden alone. I'm thankful for the people who generously serve, who generously give so that I'm not working a day job and then burning the candle at both ends in order to get ready for Sunday morning. No, people are sharing all good things. And I'm so thankful for the generosity of our people here who understand that. That in order to be, to be fed well, this has to be a priority in our church That's a sign of burden bearing, a sign of the Spirit. Then in verse 7, Paul gives this stark warning. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. That means don't take God lightly. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap corruption eternal life. He uses this agricultural metaphor of sowing, that's planting seeds and reaping, which is harvesting. Here's the reason why he uses this metaphor. There's always a delay, isn't there, between sowing and reaping. You don't plant seed and harvest a crop on the same day. There is always a delay. And what Paul is warning us here and reminding us of is to watch out for that delay. Don't think that you can keep sowing to your flesh, giving into lust or giving into envy or or giving into selfishness or giving into anger or whatever these. Don't think that you can keep sowing to these things and that in the end, after the delay, you're going to see spiritual vitality in your life. If you plant those kind of seeds, that's the kind of harvest you're going to have. But in the same way, it's an encouragement to those who are planting by the Spirit, who are trying to grow in the fruit of the Spirit as they get their eyes on Jesus Christ, that if they sow, they are going to see. There may be a delay, but they are going to see at harvest time the growth, not that they did, but that God did. That's why in verse 9 he gives this encouragement. After the warning he says, let us not grow weary in doing good. I've been sowing all of these seeds but all I see is dirt. Where's the harvest? I'm growing weary. I'm losing my... Patience. I, I'm wondering if I can keep doing this. I'm growing weary in doing good. I've been leading this small group, and I've been praying for people and trying to counsel them and help them, and they they just don't seem to be committed to change. Well, remember, there's a delay between sowing and reaping. Well, I've been, you know, leading in harvest kids, and you know the, the the teachers get the summer off, but but I the harvest kids never stops. It never stops. And, 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 but remember, you're sowing, and you're sowing to the Spirit, and you have no idea, you free up a parent to come and sit through a a church service, whether they're saved or not saved, they could get rocked in the middle of that service and forever changed because they weren't worrying about what little Jimmy was doing, or what little Catherine was up to, because you were worrying about that, so they could focus in on the Word and have their life transformed. Not only that, as you're as you're the one looking after little Jimmy and, and little Catherine, Catherine could grow up to be a conference speaker or a, or a missionary or a great leader in the church. And, 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 and little Jimmy could become a, become a pastor or, or an evangelist. You see, but that's a long delay, isn't it? The people who are working in harvest kids, you need to be reminded and encouraged. Don't be weary in doing good. Those of you who are sharing your faith with your neighbors and you want them so badly to come to Christ, keep sowing. Don't be weary. There's a delay before the harvest. It says in, at the end of verse 9, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So loved ones, don't give up. Keep doing good. Verse 10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Goodness, that's another fruit of the Spirit. Do good to everyone and especially to those who are in the household household. Of faith. That's who we're supposed to be walking with, in step with the church. Here's the, here's the negative aspect of it. So if we're supposed to keep in step with the church, there's something that we're not supposed to be in step with. We've got to keep out of step with the world. Keep in step with the church, in step with Christian community, out of step with the world. So in step with the church, out of step with the world. Now, my family isn't always just doing casual walks around our neighborhood. Uh, sometimes we, we, we go to places that are a lot busier and uh, just a little while ago we were uh, together with our boys, we went to downtown Toronto to the Royal Ontario Museum and I, I don't like driving in Toronto so we took the subway. We, we drove over to Yorkdale and then took the subway down. Now. When we were getting off the subway, I had to get right down with my boys, look them right in the eye, and tell them with serious intensity, saying, okay, we are now getting off the train. This is not the time to run ahead or to lag behind or to zigzag. This is a time to hold on to mom or dad's hand and to move forward all together. And because when you hear that sound, doo, The doors are going to open, aren't they? And there's, we're trying to get off the train. There's going to be a whole bunch of people who are—they're they're staying on the train for the next stop, and so they're—they're they're going to get in your way. Not only that, waiting on the platform is a whole bunch of other people who are trying to get on the train that you're trying to get off. And loved ones, that is a—that a, is a clear picture of what we are doing as Christians. We're trying to get off this train. We're not part of this world. We don't go along with these ways. But there's a whole bunch of people who are trying to head in the complete opposite direction. They are running towards the very thing that we are running away from. And if we're going to walk by the Spirit, the Spirit will not lead us to go with the flow of the world. No, the Spirit will cause us to go against the grain, to press forward even in the midst of opposition. And so just like I have to get down at eye level with my boys and tell them clearly and earnestly, look what Paul does in verse 11 when he's going to talk about the world. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. So far this letter had been dictated. Paul had a a secretary who was writing out what he wanted written, but now he grabs the pen. And he says, see with what large letters I am writing to you. I want you to get this. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. Remember, that's the whole underlying issue in the book of Galatians, this idea of circumcision, which was really just a microcosm of the larger idea of should Christians have to obey the law in order to be saved? And the answer to that question is absolutely not. We are saved by faith. We we follow a new law we we follow the law of the spirit, the law of Christ. But he says that these people are there. Only, notice, notice how Paul taps into their motivation. This is the first time where he actually gets into why they're doing what they're doing. Verse twelve, only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. These Judaizers, they weren't back to the Bible people. They weren't people who were saying, no, we've got to be faithful to the whole Bible. We've got to keep teaching the Old Testament. That's not what they were. They were cowards. They were afraid of persecution. And they were afraid of persecution by the Jewish community. And they were all also afraid of persecution by the Romans. Here, here's what we need to understand as a cultural backdrop, okay? Okay. Under the Roman Empire, wherever Rome ruled, every single person had to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Everyone had to make that declaration. Everyone except Jewish people. For whatever reason, by, the, by the, just a, another example of God's gracious hand being on his people, they were exempt from that rule. They didn't have to make that statement. So as long as you were considered Jewish, you didn't have to say Caesar is Lord. Now these people in Galatia were afraid that if they keep preaching Christ and stop talking about circumcision in the Old Testament, then the Jewish leaders will kick them out of the synagogue. Once they get kicked out of the synagogue, then the Romans are going to come knocking and say, say it. Say Caesar is Lord. Say Caesar is Lord or we're going to arrest you. Say Caesar is Lord or we're going to imprison you or we're going to kill you. And so there was a real motivation to try to keep the Jewish leaders happy. Because if they weren't happy, you would no longer be under that covering, under that exemption, under that rule. And so they were cowardly trying to be Christians over here, but then be Jewish over here. And trying to avoid at all costs persecution. That was their motivation to avoid to be persecuted for the cross of Christ, verse 12. Verse 13. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, that they're hypocrites. They know, he said earlier in chapter 3, they're under a curse. Even if they keep circumcision, they can't keep the rest of the laws. It says, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. They they wanted to win more people over to their side. They wanted to see, look how many friends I have. Look how many followers I have. I wanna boast in your flesh that you're part of our group. Paul says, you wanna talk about boasting? Okay, we'll talk about boasting. Verse four, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We don't, keep in step with this, we don't keep in step with the world. We're out of step with the world because the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world through Jesus Christ. The world used to have this hold on us. The world used to push us towards greed, and now we choose generosity. The world would tell us to choose lust, but now we choose purity. The word would tell us to choose anxiety, but now we choose peace. Envy, but now we choose contentment. Anger, but now we choose self-control. Slavery, but now we choose freedom. We we are the, the lure of the world. We have been forever changed, and the lure of the world is no longer there. We've been crucified to the world. The world has been crucified to us. Verse 15, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Why don't we fit in the world? Because the world is old and we're new. And we await the new heavens and the new earth. And we're not part of these old, we used to be all into those ways. Our old self, our old ways. But we have been made a new creation from the inside to the outside. He contrasts the new creation with circumcision. Circumcision is what we do on the outside. A new creation is what God can do on the inside. That he can change a human heart. That he can change our very nature. Then he says in verse a 16, as for all who walk, who walk by this rule. All those who walk by this rule, the, the, the word there is canon, where we get the idea of the, the canon of Scripture, the, the rule, the standard of this is what God's word is, this is what God's word says. He says, all those who walk by this rule, and he means like a ruler, like a carpenter's square. I spent some time working with a with a carpenter once who was doing renovations and he carried around more more than any other tool he carried around this giant carpenter square and every time he made a cut every time he put something in place he was continually lining it up with the square why so that everything fit together God's word God's rule God's Canon is what causes everything to fit together it lays out how we are supposed to live he says, everyone who lives by this rule, he says, peace and mercy be upon them. Peace is another, another fruit of the spirit. Mercy is the means by which we receive the spirit of God. He, he, he's, he declares that peace and mercy would be on those who are walking according to the rule, and he says, and upon the Israel of God. And What Paul's doing here is he's, he's, he's taking terms that are normally applied only exclusively to the actual, ethnic, physical descendants of Israel, or the descendants of Abraham, and he's applying them to the entire Christian community, just like he did in chapter three, verse seven, the sons of Abraham, 329, offspring of Abraham, 426, as Pastor Marv taught us about the Jerusalem from above, now he's referring to, to us as the Israel of God. Now this by no means means that the church has replaced Israel, but that we have been brought in, the promised blessings of, to, that were given to Abraham, we in Christ are now recipients of those blessings. And so he's praying for a peace to be upon the Israel of God. And then verse 17, from now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He says enough with this false teaching, stop listening to them, start to listen to this true rule, and you will find peace and you will find mercy. He says, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. He you want to boast and brag about circumcision, about this mark in your flesh to show your identity? And Paul says, I'll show you some marks in my flesh. I'll show you my my back for the times that I was beaten for Jesus Christ. I'll I'll show you the, the wounds. I'll show you my aching bones for the times in which I was physically persecuted for my faith then in verse 18 he says the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers amen Amen." he calls them brothers at the beginning of chapter 6 he calls them brothers at the end of chapter 6 even though he's Really clearly writing in big block letters that they need to listen to him. Even though he's having a sharp disagreement with those who are following the false teachers. Paul never forgets the fact that we are a family. He is always referring to them as brothers and as sisters. And that's what we need to remember. And as we think about all that we've studied in this book of Galatians, I think Paul's words in verse 14 are just a terrific summary. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're a people that boast in the cross. Not in ourselves. We boast in the cross because it's in the cross where we have been justified by faith. Chapter 2, verse 16. Where we have been crucified with Christ. Chapter 2, verse 20. Where the curse of the law has been lifted. Chapter 3, verse 13. Where we have received the promised blessing of Abraham. Chapter 3, verse 16. Where we've received the spirit of adoption. Chapter 4, verse 6. Where we are no longer slaves. Chapter four, verse seven. This is the reason why we boast. This is the reason why we delight in the fact that for freedom, Christ has set us free. And so we're free to walk in the spirit in step with one another as the church, but out of step with the world, no matter what the cost. Let's pray together. Our heavenly father, we thank you for this book that you inspired Paul to write. God, we thank you that you have given us your word which is living and active. Lord, I thank you that, that these timeless truths apply to us today. And I pray that corporately and individually, Lord, that we would live in freedom. That we would indeed walk by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit, Lord. I pray against pride that would cause us to run ahead, and I pray for those who are feeling ashamed because they are lagging behind. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a community that would lovingly and gently care for one another and restore one another. God, I pray that we would be opposed to the ways of this world, not boasting in ourselves or in our flesh or in our deeds, but boasting in Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so, God, we pray that you would help us. Be with us now as we respond in song. May may our lifted voices be an act of boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ by which we are made free. So let's do that now. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.